Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that nation. Um, and God is so good because he knew two things. He knew, number one, that today, um, being that I would be having to officiate a wedding up in Orlando <laughs> just after church, and that I would be battling this, this awesome head cold, and because God loves you and doesn't want you to listen to Kermit the Frog all morning, um, he was so good to perfectly put a date on the calendar for uh, a guest speaker to come preach here at Solace today. Um, and I just I feel a little bit like it's kind of selling it short to just call him a guest speaker. Um, he's so much more than a guest speaker. I, I would, there's a sense in which you might not know him personally, but Casey is so much more than a guest here to me. He's in many ways a part of our family, our church family. Um, and so I just want to just take a minute, a minute here to introduce to you Pastor Casey Cleveland of the Avenue Church in Delray Beach. Would you give it up for him as he comes up here? So uh, it was awesome, too, because I put a date on the calendar, and it didn't work out for him, and then this one just perfectly landed. Um, but just real quick, a quick, quick introduction. Come on up, Casey. Um, just a quick introduction. This is Casey, a good friend of mine, Pastor Casey, from uh, the Avenue Church in Delray Beach. Um, and just before he gets uh, into the Word today and teaches us about missiology, uh, I just wanted to take a minute to read a scripture to you uh, to hopefully do a few things. Uh, I want to honor Casey for the role that he's played in my life. I want you to understand how much of a blessing Casey has been to our church, and I really want to glorify Jesus for how he's used him. Um, and so what comes to mind is a scripture verse here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says something interesting. He's speaking to the church in a very paternal way. He's not Apostle Paul at this point. He's kind of Papa Paul, all right? And he says, for though, listen to this. He says to this church, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, he said, yet you do not have many fathers. He says, for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. You know, the way that God has oriented the church is to be a family, Amen. And I love that. I love that about Jesus' church. It's not just a club that you're a member of, a thing you join, but it's a family that you're born into through the gospel. And the call as a church family is to function that way. And Paul has this interesting verse. He talks to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5. He says, you know, in the church, make sure that you treat the older men like fathers, the older women like mothers. Treat your fellow young ladies like sisters. Treat your fellow gentlemen like brothers. Just that call to treat the church as a family. And I think the church is at its best when the church is functioning this way, as a family. Um, you know, today in the church, there's no shortage, I'll say this, there's no shortage of good teachers. Um, you don't, it's really rare to find a church today because of good teaching, because here's, here's the reality. You can find better teaching in your, on your iPhone. Most of the time, you, you just YouTube, you know, you can Google search best teacher. You know, that's not a good way to find good teaching. But um, you just end up with anybody. But if, whatever you're looking for, whatever your, uh, your, your, your preference is, you want, you want charisma, you want, you want deep and theological, you want practical, you want psychological, uh, whatever it is, all right? Uh, you can find that on the Internet. And that's what Paul says, even in his day. He says, you got 10,000s of teachers. That was before the world of podcasts and YouTube and church hopping. You know what I mean? Like that was a day where even in that day there was no shortage of teachers. The thing that was missing in the church 
the spiritual fathers. It was the church being the church as a, as a family. Um, and I'll tell you what, I think so much of my heart for our church to be a family has come through the way that Casey has embraced me. As a leader of a church, uh, Casey obviously has that heart as well, um, but he's been a guy that for me has been more than just a teacher, and I can't tell you, there's so many different like books and podcasts out there for church planning. You know, here 10 steps to grow a healthy church and, and five this and five that and, you know, all these different things. How do you grow a church on a rainy day? You know, 10 steps, you know, like you got it all out there. And what God has given me through my brother Casey is a, a bit of a spiritual father. And I almost hesitate to say that because I don't want to make him older than he really is. Um, but even though he looks 22, <laughs> um, but here's what happened. Uh, two years ago, I found myself in a coffee shop. Uh, the seed, to, to be specific, uh, with nothing more than this unavoidable call to plant a church. And that was about all I had, literally. No idea of what I'm getting myself into, not a lot of support, uh, not a lot of coaching. I should say very little to no coaching in, in that regard. And there I am at the seed, and there's this, this gentleman sitting next to me reading a book. And I look at him, and I just assume this is some kind of, he looked like a coach, like an athlete. He was reading some kind of leadership book. And he was over here in a conversation I was having with another guy. And Casey popped in and said, hey, I heard you talk about church planning. That's funny. You know, I'm a church planner. Uh, that conversation, it led into a relationship that's still going on to this day. What's so cool is after I left the coffee shop, a good friend of mine that knew of Casey, I guess they were helping out your church with some offices at that point. I said, man, you wouldn't believe I just bumped into this incredible guy, Pastor Casey from the Avenue Church in Delray Beach. And uh, on the other line, my friend Adam was silent. I'm going, what? Adam, you there? You know, like, can you hear me? You know? And he goes, dude, you wouldn't believe for the past 30 minutes, I've been trying to get you Casey's number. I've been trying to hunt down his information for you. And for Adam, it was a lesson to go, God's got this. For me, it was a reminder that where God guides, God provides. And what I needed in this season of planning the church in the past two years, listen, is so much more than God's provision to know what to do. I needed a guy like Casey that has gone the road before me. Avenue Church is now about into their eighth year. And um, the Lord knew what I needed was, I, I think of what, what the first questions that Casey started to ask me. Casey didn't really have any concern for what my plan was. Casey didn't really care so much on the, on the, on the front end of what the church was going to be called, our vision, our values. Here's what he started to ask me. How's your marriage? How are your kids? How's your relationship with Jesus? Can I tell you, those are the kinds of questions we need to be asking each other. Uh, we can be so focused on the metrics, and, and that's who Casey is. Uh, he's more than a teacher. I'm excited for him to teach if I ever get to it and let him actually get there. Um, I could go on and on uh, about how thankful I am for this guy. He's uh, been to me more than, a, more than a teacher, more than a mentor. He's been a pastor and a friend, and I, I believe every pastor needs a pastor. So um, I want to just give him the stage and, and just thank you, brother. And I'm so excited for what God's going to share. Would you guys give it up for my pastor, Casey Cleveland? Love you, bro. Thank you so much, Andrew. That means uh, the world to me. And I am uh, delighted to be with you guys today. It's, uh, it is a great joy, and uh, it's, it is, uh, I think, quite appropriate that you were calling me a father and in a really cool way older than you, because it is my birthday today. 
So thank you so much. Can we get the team up here? We're going to do happy birthday to Kate. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. But it is really my birthday today. And um, so uh, it's, uh, it's really cool. The Lord was just affirming some things that you were sharing, Andrew. Um, and it is a joy to actually um, just get to be uh, somebody who pours into other people's lives. I think that's, uh, that's, that's God's call on my life. So um, thank you for that. Very encouraging. So uh, I'm excited to be here with you guys today, and uh, I want you to, um, not in response because Andrew said a lot of nice things about me, but um, I want you to know that uh, you have uh, more than a wise teacher among you. Like, you know, if you know Andrew, you know he, like, loves the word, right? He loves to teach it. He loves to preach it. He could do that all the time, and, um, and that's really cool, and actually, I give Andrew... Like, I just, this week, I gave him a series idea because I want to know more about it. So I want him to teach it so I can learn about it. So, so you know you have a great teacher in Andrew. But one of the things um, that you should know about Andrew is you have a worshiper in Andrew. And um, that's very obvious even from the, the title of the church, Solus, and what it means about keeping Jesus at the center. And, uh, and so you have a lover of Jesus that's leading you. And uh, you, guys, you guys can certainly be encouraged and feel as though you are well-pastored because you have a lead worshiper and a lead repenter in your midst who gets to lead you every Sunday. So uh, please encourage him in that uh, along the way. So a little bit about me, and then we'll, we'll hop into the word. So just uh, briefly, uh, I have a, I'm, I'm actually running my own slides today, which will be really cool. I wanted to try that, Andrew. When you asked me, I've never, I never really do that, so I wanted to try it. So this could be a total train wreck, or it could be, it could be like kind of me growing as a teacher. But uh, just a, a brief introduction about who I am. We figured it would be just kind of beneficial for you guys to get a picture of what, what kind of goes on behind the scenes in my life. And so this is my family, um, and it's always interesting when I think about like how, how I can get a picture of my family, because to get all of us in a picture is, is like a move of God, <laughs> okay? And so this is the best picture lately that we can get um, of, of my family. And so I'll give you a, a just kind of a brief introduction of them. And, and the fact that it looks like that is kind of like upside down and sideways. That is my family currently. <laughs> we, we are kind of upside down and sideways. And um, I'll explain a little bit more about that as we get into the message here. But uh, so this is, I'll just, just in order here. So this is my son, Cole. He's uh, 14 and he smiles little because he has braces now. Okay, he used to smile, but yeah, I don't know if you remember when you first had braces and you'd give that cool guy grin. That's what that is, okay? And he's awesome. He loves baseball and we spend a lot of time uh, in, in that uh, realm. And, um, and so I'll, I'll skip you know, my favorite for last. So this is Cade, and uh, Cade is our four-year-old son, and he is just all four years old and all boy, and just, we love him, and we, get, we love getting to be uh, his mom and his dad. And this is his sister, Cora, and Cora is three. So, she, so he's four, she, uh, she's three, they're 11 months apart, and um, her name is Cora Joy, because that's what she is. She is a joy bringer, and uh, we love getting to be a part of their lives, getting to be their mom and dad. We fostered them uh, pretty much from birth, and then we were able to adopt them almost a year ago. And so that's, uh, that's been a really cool addition to our family. And we, we doubled, and we didn't even, like, really plan on it, babe. And you looked, you know, it was like crazy. We just looked at each other, and wow, all of a sudden we had double the family that we had before. And then this is our 17-year-old, Caroline. And uh, she was our first, and she is actually uh, away right now at a camp getting, she's going to go to college, she'll be a senior here uh, locally, but then uh, she'll, she'll be going to uh, college to play volleyball, which is where she is right now up at uh, Butler University doing a camp up there. And then this is my wife, um, she is my favorite, um, 
bar none. So you know, they all know it. It's good for them to know their place. Love them with all my heart. But you know, you have to have a favorite, and it just happens to be my wife. And uh, we've been married 23 years, and uh, her name, uh, like I said, is Catherine. She's there in the back, and uh, she is the pastor of my heart and the second treasure behind Jesus in my life. So that's us. That is, that is our family, and that is where we spend a lot of time. And when I'm not spending time there, I'm usually spending time here. This is uh, the Avenue Church, kind of what it looks like from, from the back. We meet um, at a place called Trinity uh, Del Rey, which is another church. And so we're trying this thing where two churches are on one campus. We actually meet at the same time. Worst idea and best idea ever. I love it. <laughs> it is the most beautiful mess you've ever seen parking and finding people where we've actually combined children's ministries and we we just believe that like Jesus really meant what he prayed in John 17 about the church being one and so we're just trying to figure that out with all of our distinctives and things like that so we meet in their gym and uh, we've been going eight years and our community is like yours we're just diverse people who are getting hungrier and hungrier for Jesus so that's that's kind of that's our background that's what we do and who we are and so today I'm talking to you guys about uh, missiology, missiology. And so, um, you know, anywhere, any, anytime you need a definition for a word, you should always start at like highly, um, highly relevant and like deeply, uh, wh- what you would say, educational uh, resources. You should dig deep. And so I went to the, the best place to do that, Wikipedia, right? Because all, all that's on Wikipedia is super accurate. And um, actually, I, re- I really did. I'm not kidding. And, and so this is what I got. This is what I got. And it actually happened to be a, a pretty good definition. And it said, basically, it's the mandate and the message and the mission of the church. The mandate of the church, um, meaning that like there's, a, there's something that's necessary for the church. There's a message that the church carries, and then there's a mission. It's like, um, you know, we're supposed to be doing something. And so I love your ology series and, and where this has been leading up. And so today, we're going we're gonna to take a look at um, what the church should be, should be doing. And, um, and so just to kind of kick us off here, uh, I thought that uh, Tim Keller uh, gives us a great idea of, of what the church should be doing. He says, while the mission of the institutional church is to preach the word and produce disciples, the church must disciple Christians. And then he goes on to about like work and place and all these sort of things. And then he uses this phrase that I think is really appropriate for us. He says, um, the church must train and equip its people to be a faithful presence to be a faithful presence in the world around them. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it look like to really be um, a faithful presence, carrying out the mandate, the, the, the mission, and the message of the church? Um, so, you know, it's hard to, tump, to trump um, Tim Keller, but I'm going to go ahead and try to do it anyways with Jesus, right? And so um, Jesus gives us the mission of the church even more clearly in Revelation. He's like, I'm making all things new. And that actually isn't just going to happen when he comes back. It's, it's actually something that's happening right now. God is on a rescue and renewal mission right now. And so miss, missiology is all about how do we as a people, not just me individually, but how do we as a people join him on that mission to rescue and renew all of creation. And so we'll let that be, we'll let that be our guide as we turn into um, Matthew uh, 28, uh, verses 16 through 20, it, uh, it might be a, f- a familiar passage to you guys, um, otherwise known as the Great Commission. So the plan today is to be in a few different passages. 
um, each coming from a different perspective about this idea of missiology. So we've got a gospel perspective. We're going to have um, like an epistle perspective. Uh, we're going to have an early church perspective, and they each give us hopefully different things. And so that's what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at a few places that deal with this topic of missiology. And hopefully um, throughout the day we'll make much of the name of Jesus, and from that we'll, we will be better equipped uh, to be on mission with God. And so this, this would function, if you will, as the what. So we'll look at like the what and the, and the how and the why of missiology, the what. So just uh, very specific. Jesus, uh, he has his, his followers who have been with him, and uh, they, they've now witnessed his death, tragic in their mind, um, although divine and significant for those of us who know him as Savior, knowing that on the cross the sin of humanity was placed upon Christ. It wasn't, um, it wasn't a, a murder. It was a sacrifice. It was Jesus' choice um, to walk through this as our perfect sacrifice, that he would take the penalty we deserved. And then now they're receiving, and they're experiencing the, the resurrection. And so in the resurrection, they're like, wow, this this guy did it. He did what he said he was going to do. The divine nature of the resurrection tells us that he defeated sin and death. They may not have fully grasped that at that point. They just knew, man, that guy was dead and now he's alive again. So he had their attention. He has our attention because we know that that means that he's overcome our sin and our death and that we can actually, we can actually receive that as ours through faith in his finished work, through turning from self and sin and trusting in Christ and Christ alone. And so that's the context um, uh, by which Jesus enters into these words. And then he, he tells them, so like there's a message, and they're beginning to understand the message. And now he gives them the mission. He says, now the, the, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Is that not like one of the best descriptions of Sunday morning? Uh, hopefully that describes you too. I'm worshiping you, but I'm struggling with some doubt. I love that. I, I, that means I guess I get to be a disciple as well. Verse 19, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the what? The what certainly we could spend all nine weeks on simply just this commission, right? And, but we're just going to kind of pick out one thing. We're going to try to be as, as specific as we can. Make disciples of all nations. That's the what. We get that from this particular passage. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is what it means to be a part of the rescue and renewal of all creation, is the making of disciples. That's how God brings his rescue and renewal. It's how he rescues people from the consequences of their sin, which should separate them from a holy God for eternity. There's a rescuing nature in there, but it's, there's also a renewing nature in there. God is renewing all of creation, and he does it by rescuing people like you and me and then sending us back out to bring renewal to our like Tuesday morning staff meeting, to bring renewal to, to w what's happening with our orphan crisis, to bring renewal to poverty in Africa, to bring renewal to this school system right here. He sends out those who have been rescued to then be renewal agents where they actually live, work, and, and play. And so um, th that's what he's doing. We, we get to join him in that. But very specifically, what is the mission? What is the, what is the mission of the church? It's making disciples of all nations so that they can join God in what he's doing. 
which is that rescue and renewal. And so first of all, we have to have a, 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 just a brief idea of what a disciple is. What is a disciple? Again, this could be certainly a lengthy uh, discussion, but if we're just simply to look at the nature of the word, a disciple is like a learner, a lifelong learner. We've taken a simple approach at defining a disciple at the Avenue Church as uh, someone who follows in the ways of Jesus and teaches others to do the same. I, I was, um, I think I was, I was brought up with a pretty clear teaching of someone who follows in the ways of Jesus, but I feel like it dropped off in percentage points when it came to me teaching others to do the same. So, like, I, I understood my personal holiness in response to God's, like, work in my life, but what I didn't understand as part of that holiness and as part of worshiping Jesus and following Jesus was joining him in helping others to do the same. And so I've just been maybe a little bit of a, a crash course in this in my, in my later life, as you will, is understanding that me being on mission with God is part of me following in the ways of Christ. They're not like two different uh, things. And so a, a disciple is somebody that, so as we share the gospel, we're not simply bringing people into the kingdom. We're, we're bringing people into the kingdom so that they may be ambassadors with us of that kingdom. And then all nations is really where um, we, we wanted to just spend a moment this morning today building some foundation. All nations. That there would be, um, this would be a movement. It wouldn't simply be like an institution. It wouldn't be um, just a message, but it would be a message that had movement. So there was this idea that it was going to spread. It was going to become contagious. It was going to be uh, something that uh, was not um, sedentary. I love this idea that there, there's a mobility to being on mission with God. You can't stay in the same place and be on mission with God. Because the nature of the message and the man in the middle of the message is movement. Is taking it from where he is to where it has not yet been. And what that means for us here in Boca and for our particular context in Del Rey is not just that, well, everyone knows the gospel, so we should try to find that one tribe in fill in the blank that doesn't know the gospel. That's what it means to be on mission. No, no, no. They don't know the gospel of grace in third grade at this school like they could. They don't know the gospel of grace Wednesday afternoon in your one-on-one -on -one counseling session with somebody that you're trying to, to share insurance with. They don't know the gospel of grace in your neighborhood like they could. There are dark spots all around us as we speak. And so being on mission with God means finding those areas where the gospel has yet not penetrated and figuring out what it means to be a faithful presence there. All nations. So kind of our, our thought here on this particular point, our you're taking notes, be somewhat simple, is, is solace, understand your nation. Understand your nation. What I wanted to do is be faithful to the text, but then be faithful to what I believe God wants you to hear here at solace. Not, this is not a message that translates to the avenue because asking God to like, help me to speak to you guys um, today. And so not that there's not application, but solace, this is, this is for you. Believe, understand your understand. Your nation. Because it says that we're supposed to go to all nations, right? And so we should understand the nation we've been sent to. Now, if you have a specific call to go to a specific area that's not Boca Raton or where, that's cool, then understand that nation. But from what I can tell right now, most of you have probably been sent to this particular nation. So it would be imperative, it would be like your mandate to understand this nation. 
if you were going to be on mission with God for it. And so what does that mean to understand this particular nation? And so, you know, um, my wife and I, we, we do 17 and 14 pretty well. We get 17 and 14-year-olds pretty well. Um, I taught middle school. I don't know how I'm going to open this with one hand, so just give me a second. Okay. okay. I, usually use a, I usually use a mic that's on my ear. So hold on. Okay, I'm back. So I taught middle school for 10 years and coached and did all that sort of stuff. And um, we're like kind of geared for 17 and 14-year-old kids. We get it. We get their language. We, we get to walk. We, you know, like we can binge Netflix with them. We can s- talk about gospel implications of stranger things. We can do that. Like that's kind of like our like vibe right there, okay? That, that's like where we live. 17, 14-year-olds, where we come to life. We don't get three and four-year-olds. We don't. We did, I guess, kind of. We're just, we're not like really, uh, this, I don't know how this is going to go over for you. But we're not like huge baby little people people. You know, like we do them and we love them and we care for them. We understand, we understand all that. And we, we made it through the first time. But um, naturally, we just we don't get that. We don't live in that. We don't speak that. That's a new culture for us. And so um, the fact that God called us back into it through foster care and now adoption, it's taken some learning for us. We had to understand our new nation if you will, our context. And there's certain things you don't say in, in, in three and four-year-old world. Like if, if you were to come into my house, we would have issue if you said any of these words, pool, playground, or Cheetos. We're fighting, okay? Because that means if you're not prepared to, to make those things happen for my three and four-year-old, there's chaos that will ensue for a long time, okay? So we understood, we had to learn to understand, hey, there's certain things that you don't say in this context because they're like triggers, right? Um, there's certain ways that you need to be able to understand language that we didn't, we haven't understood before. So you might come into my house and you might think, well, that, that kid has a, like a, maybe a speech problem or I have no idea what they're saying. But, but because we've, we've learned and we've, we've like hung on words and we've, we've tried certain things and, and it's like, no, I didn't mean that. No, I didn't mean that. We know that my three-year-old really wants to watch more of Peppa Pig with more popcorn and then put her floaties on and go to the pool. You might have thought she was like speaking in tongues, but we knew exactly what she was saying, okay? You might have thought it was gibberish, but we knew exactly what she was saying. Why? Because we had spent time learning the language. And so for us to enter into that world of three and four-year-old, we had to, we had to relearn some things. So Solus, my encouragement to you would be to relearn some things, maybe about your nation. Understand your nation. Understand where you've been called. You're going to have a great gift. Uh, I think it's Thursday night in Chan Kilgore. There's nobody that I know who does a better job of translating the gospel into everyday language and helping us to do that than him. I highly encourage you to do that. He talks about two things. He talks about gospel in the air and gospel on the ground. Gospel in the air is, is, it could be things like, um, like sin and, and death and, and the cross of Christ and atonement, all amazing, amazing things. Gospel on the ground, that doesn't always translate in our culture, right? That doesn't mean we, that we don't talk about sin. It doesn't mean that we don't talk about separation from God. It doesn't mean that we don't talk about those things that are difficult maybe for our world to understand. What it means is that when we live in a pluralistic society, 
that's got pluralistic, so like everyone, everyone's sort of vote counts, everybody gets a seat at the table. When we live in a society that's highly secular, so like it's, there's a horizontal desire to like see and touch things, and the things that are transcendent don't get maybe as much um, value as, as, the, as the secular things that we can feel. And so when we live in a society that values comfort and convenience, we need to learn that nation, and we need to learn to translate the gospel in, in the air into the gospel on the ground. We need to take those concepts from the air and we need to make them relevant in the ground. One of the books that um, you'll see as a recommendation is, is from Paul Tripp. It's called Instruments in Redeemer's Hands and this is kind of what we've built our church on. He, he calls it, here's, it's, a, it's kind of a longer book so I'm gonna sum it up for you real quick, ready? Love, no speak, do. Love, no speak, do. That's his approach to being an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. First, if you wanna bring the gospel in the air down to the gospel on the ground, first you need to love people. And simply loving people, uh, one of the greatest definitions of love is, is the, your memory verse this week, is the way that God has loved us. It says that um, like Jesus got sent to us, and so he sends us the same way. What did he do for 30 years before he started his public ministry? He was just like, he just came and he was with us. He was like, he was like one of us. He wasn't up there. Jesus didn't come on a platform. He, he came and, and he just kind of like, decided to be among us. So one of the greatest ways that we can love, one of the greatest ways that we can take the gospel in the air, some of you are super weirded out right now because this has never happened. It's okay. I, I, I can't promise I won't touch you because Jesus touches us, right? This guy seems like he's going to be okay with it. Okay, <laughs> yeah, he laughed. He's like, you can touch me. It's okay. One of the, one of the first moves of Jesus' mission towards us is that he just simply comes and he hangs out with us for 30 years. He's just like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to be one of you guys. Just going to hang out. I've got something to say. I'm going to do something in your midst. But you have to know that, like, I love you. And one of the greatest ways that you can share your love for somebody is to simply be with them where they are. So if you want to take the gospel from the air and make it relevant to the gospel on the ground, learn to be with people first, period, end of sentence. Second, Love, no. No people. No people. Jesus did this, right? He knew the woman at the well. He knew Peter. He knew their story. You want to be relevant in the gospel? You want to go on mission with God? Those are all awesome, like, bumper stickers. But, like, to make them real is to know people. So, so you, we have to get better not at making statements. We have to get better at asking questions. How cool would it be for Solus to be known, maybe just for a year or so, as a church man? Like, uh, they, they didn't bombard me with a ton of statements. They just were a great question-asking church. You know how much God can do through the, an appropriate question? I think it's 25. I was reading this somewhere. I forget the resource, but it was like 25, 21 out of 25 times Jesus has asked a direct question, and he answers with a question. He doesn't like scripture grenade them. Have you ever had the scripture grenade guy? Or girl, I don't mean to be like <laughs> sex. But like you ask a question, and they're like, oh, I got you. Romans 8, 28, boom. And then they just kind of say, hey, you, we'll work, you guys work that out. Let the Spirit of the Lord work that out in you because I've done my job. I mean, that's not really Jesus' approach, right? I love scripture and it never goes out void, so don't hear me wrong. But if we're going to take the gospel in the air, we're going to make it appropriate to the gospel on the ground where people are. We're going to go on mission with God. We need to know people. And one of the greatest ways we can know people is by asking well-informed, loving questions. 
Thirdly is just um, speak. Love knows speak. So this is where we take the gospel in the air and we make it relevant to the gospel on the ground. This is, this is a, um, like, you, uh, it's like kind of an equipping we need. You don't come assembled by this. All of us are decent. If you've been in the church for a while, you're pretty decent at like a gospel presentation. Like you can, talk, you, you can like present what has been presented to you, um, maybe just even from memory. And maybe, maybe we're all there. And if you're not there, that's okay too. But like, like we've got like a, oh, oh, here's my chance. And then you just open up your canned presentation of Jesus. And you're like, mm. Now listen, if we're sharing the gospel, awesome. I just think maybe we could think through this a little bit more and think about, okay, it's not just me sharing the gospel, but if I'm going to be instruments in the Redeemer's hand, I've loved people. I know their story. How can I take the story of Jesus and actually attach it to their story where it makes sense to them rather than hoping they get inspired by some rehearsed track I have? One of the ways that that you'll hear on Thursday we can do this is through creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the story of the Bible, creation. Then it goes bad. That's the fall. Redemption is Jesus comes and he redeems all things, and restoration is that he's coming back. Well, if that's the story of God, that's everyone's story actually in, in real life. So take your neighbor who's going through a, a divorce. Creation was married and all things were good. Fall, something went bad. Adultery, people grew apart, whatever. That's the fall. Redemption, he's, he, he or she's going to counseling and trying to work out their marriage. Restoration, they get back together and everything goes back to normal. Listen, that's their story. So your opportunity, you going on mission with God, is figuring out how can I enter into their story, whether it's through the fall of what they're working through or, or what they're putting their hope in, and invite them into a better story. I hope your marriage works out. I hope your counseling works out. I'm praying for your counseling. But can I, can I introduce you to someone whose faithfulness never depends on your performance? It's a different, it's a different gospel share than... And then finally, do. Love, no, speak, do. Do is when you just decide to not leave no matter what they respond. Oh, you don't want Jesus? That's cool. I still want you. Let's walk together. Oh, you do want Jesus? That's cool. You're going to be a train wreck for a long while. I'm just going to walk alongside you and affirm you in the process of God calling you more and more to himself. So that's the what. Where do we go from here? Well, what, what, about, what about the How? Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. Again, maybe a familiar passage to you, and maybe not. Um, don't know. This is uh, what, we would, what we would refer to as sort of a description of the Spirit being um, given to us for a particular purpose. Acts is all about the early church, and so early in Acts, we see what is going to make the early church go. Acts 1.8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Hey, so Jesus telling them, you know, hey, this is, this is what you have to look forward to. This, this, is, this is how you're going to do it. I've given you the mission, but, but I lo- what I love about Jesus, he gives us the how as well. And so Solus, as I, as I think about um, the how, just underlining here the importance of receiving power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So there's one thing that the Holy Spirit is, is like famous for, that he loves to do. The Holy Spirit is a person, and, and, and he has a personality, 
and um, he's beautiful, and you can study about him all throughout Scripture, and he does different things. But the thing that he is most famous for, the thing that amps his heart up more than anything, is to make a big deal out of Jesus. He loves to shine the spotlight on Jesus, and we see that the early church, you and me, we get the Holy Spirit in order to go on mission. We get the Holy Spirit so that we would have power to be his what? Witnesses. To be his witnesses. We receive the Holy Spirit so that we might have power that's not our own to actually do what I just described. I don't know what you were feeling when I was describing that love, no speak, do. Some of you might be like, yeah, that's awesome. Some of you might be like, that's totally foreign to me. I have no idea. Some of you are like, that's really terrifying to me. Like, I, I just, I'd rather invite him and hear Andrew share the gospel. Whatever your response might be, you have no power to do that unless the person of the Holy Spirit is filling you and empowering you for that. But if the Holy Spirit does live within you, which he's promised to every follower of Christ, then you have all the power you would ever need to actually be a part of this mission. And so as I look through here, uh, my, my thoughts on, on the, the how, um, I'm reminded of Luke chapter 4. We're doing a reading plan of the New Testament in the AC, and so I try to follow along, and um, I was in Luke chapter 4, and I was reminded, I just started like noting the, the mentions of the Holy Spirit in Luke. And in that particular chapter, Jesus is doing his thing. I love Luke because Jesus is, I read this in a book, so if, if you think it's cool, it's not me. Uh, so it's like in Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, eating a meal, or coming from a meal. I love that. I, that's why I think maybe Luke's my favorite gospel. He like affirms my love for food. It's so awesome because Jesus was always doing it. So, so anyways, but, but there's something in Luke where he, it's cool because it's written by a physician and it's really detail-oriented. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is doing some really cool things, but they're all empowered by the Spirit. So it's this really awesome reminder for us that the same Spirit that Jesus needed is what's available to you and to me for mission. And so it reminds us of this, this call of the New Testament here of, of being filled with the Spirit. Again, we could, we could go on about what that is, and that could be its whole message, but I, but I want to keep it simple for us today as we work through this message. And this, the idea is just simply solace, drink deeply. Drink deeply of the Spirit. Paul, in his uh, letters to the churches, the early churches, he writes about this idea of being filled with the Spirit, that um, every believer is, is, receives the Spirit through faith in Christ's finished work, but there seems to be this call to be being filled with the Spirit. Like it's an ongoing thing that you should have a hunger for, that, that the Spirit of God, um, the, the power that you've been given to go on mission with God, that you would continue to hunger for that Spirit, that you'd be filled with that Spirit. And then um, he likens it to drinking wine. So I just, you know, my, I'm just kind of like a not great teacher, but simple-minded guy who looks at the Word and is like, okay, I can understand that. I got it. The more I drink, the, 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 the more different I feel. There's an actual influence and effect when I drink. Okay? The same must be true of the Spirit. The, the more I seek to be filled with the Spirit, the, the, the more influence the Spirit's going to have on my life, the more power I'm, I'm probably going to have to go on mission with God. Well, what does it mean 
to be filled with um, the Spirit. Piper has a really cool little, little blog on it about being filled with the Spirit where he highlights some things. You can look it up on Desiring God. Just Google Piper being filled with the Spirit. Um, but he, he basically highlights what the scriptures highlight is a, a lot of being filled with the Spirit means setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. So when you're in your word, when you're walking through your spiritual rhythms, when you're gathering for worship, when you're maybe journaling and fasting and just, just getting after God, praying. Um, one of the things that's been super important to me has been um, this idea of, of worship and even personal worship. And really how I've seen the Lord be able to fill me with his spirit as I've set out to worship him. Now, a lot of worship can be about Jesus, and that's awesome when we're worshiping about Jesus and we're singing things about Jesus. But there's, there's like a shift that, this is just from personal experience, there's just a shift when I move from worshiping about Jesus into worshiping Jesus. So I can say things like about Jesus, which are really good. But when I start to take it into a personal level and I'm saying things to Jesus... I don't know, something just happens. Something happens. And so I'd encourage you, Solus, if you have a desire to be on mission with God, to be filled and be being filled with the Spirit, specifically in your personal worship to Jesus. Well, next we look in the why. The why. What does it mean to um, kind of like have the motivation, if you will, for, uh, for mission? Philippians 3.8 gives us the why. This is what um, Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says this. You know, he's in jail and he's writing about joy. So he's got all sorts of reasons to have a pity party. And think about the fact that he's kind of failed and where is everybody. But instead he writes these things. Indeed, chapter 3, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So this is, um, this is probably my favorite point, okay? And I'm just keeping track of time here, so I'm going to keep working through. And we're not going to spend a ton, a ton of time here, but... Um, you have here in this passage um, some, some uh, themes of, of our union with Christ. The fact that Christ lives in me and I live in Christ. And, and, and that um, I, would, I would know him through sharing in his sufferings. And, um, you know, that, that doesn't mean that um, there was any sufferings lacking in the cross. Like he suffered, it is finished, all those sort of things. But what it means is when I join in the same rhythms of life that he lived, I begin to know him more than I ever have before. I begin to gain a greater experience of Jesus. 
than I had before. So, so for Paul, it's, it's like his motivation was, was Jesus, that he would gain Jesus, not, not through effort, not through earning. Paul loved by faith alone, through Christ alone. He loved all the alones. He loved all the solas before they were like, like popular through the Reformation. Like Paul, Paul loved it, right? He wasn't talking about working his way to Jesus. What he was talking about is that his whole life is oriented around this one person named Jesus that he might drink more deeply, that he might experience more fully the richness of this person in his life. And one of the ways that he was doing it was by sharing in the sufferings of Christ. So when we find ourselves at great expense seeing the gospel advance, whether it's because you were able to like fully share a gospel presentation or you were simply called to love someone through a difficult season, Paul was like super amped about that because he knew in those moments he would get to experience Jesus like he hadn't before. It was like, it was, all his whole being was surrounded by how can I get more Jesus? And one of the things that Leslie Newbigin says, mission guy, theologian, which I think sums it up really well, is that the heart of mission is simply the desire to be with him, that's Jesus, and to give him the service of, her, of our lives. The heart of mission is simply the desire to be with him and to give him the service. It's like, I just want to be where Jesus is. Take me there. Because wherever Jesus is, that means that I will be gaining more and more of an experience of my great, great treasure. So you can love lost people, which you should. You, you can have a heart for lost people. You can love seeing people move from death to life. You can love like seeing renewal brought to the foster care system. You can love all those sort of things. But at the heart of mission has to be your love for being where Jesus is. If he is not your treasure, everything else will be compromised at some point, and so too will your passion for mission. I was in school, and I was graduating with a degree, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just wanted to be done. And as I got closer and closer to the end, I met this girl who became my girlfriend, who then became my wife directly after college, and I knew that there was only one thing I wanted to do. I didn't want to use my BA in communications to uh, be a, a news anchor or to do this or to do that. Like, like there, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to go, th there was a, a plethora of things that you, I could have done, that I could have pursued. I just knew one thing. I just knew I wanted to be with my girl. So if you knew what you wanted to do, babe, which is go teach kindergartners, I don't know why, but you did. You wanted to do it. You loved wiping the and tying shoes and teaching reading all this. she like loved, I said we weren't really baby people but I guess five year olds aren't baby people she, she knew what she wanted to do all I knew was that I wanted to be with her so I just I became a teacher in order to hang out with my wife my motivation wasn't oh, I love kids or I want to see like the gospel advance my motivation was I just want to be where my wife is going to be because she was like the driving treasure in my heart. 
my invitation to you today, Solus, is to simply be who you are and keep Jesus at the center. Just keep Jesus at the center of your mission. Now, as we um, prepare to close and we think through um, what that might look like, we move on to the next. And this will be our, our final point here. If we could have the team come on up and this will be maybe a familiar way of ending here at Solus where there'll be an opportunity to pray and things like that. But um, there's something I wanted to do for you um, as it pertains to the next. So we've talked about what is the what of missiology, the, the how, the why, and now the next. So, so what is it that you should do next here? Um, and what I wanted to do was... Um, Simply pray for you and then encourage you because that seems to do, be what Paul does for this church in Ephesus, right? Because um, as much as I, I want you to fall deeply in love with Jesus and allow that to be your motivating factor is to simply figure out where is Jesus rescuing and renewing in my context and be there because you get Jesus more and more and more. You first have to understand how loved you are by that Jesus or he'll simply just be an option among many other shiny things. So if it's cool f with you guys, I'm just going to pray a prayer over you and then encourage you one last time. This is a prayer that, that Paul prays in um, Ephesians 3. And hopefully the Spirit will take it and make it real for you. And, um, so he says he, first of all, he says he bows his knees, so just go ahead and do that for you guys and receive this prayer for this reason I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you soulless church to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being soulless so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.